Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri This is about Mahaprabhu meeting with the Tattva bodies. We're reading text 262 to 263. 262. Evam Vratiswa Priya Nama Kirtya Jata Nurago Gayati Unmaravan when one is actually advanced and takes pleasure in chanting the holy name of the Lord who is very dear to him, he is agitated and loudly chants the holy name. He also laughs, cries, becomes agitated and chants just like a madman not caring for outsiders. This verse is a quotation from Srimad Bhagavatam 11.240. So this is some evidence. Mahaprabhu is saying that the supreme goal of life is love. And this is some evidence of love. When there's love, there's behavior. You don't just say, I love you. Love is exhibited. And so this is how it's exhibited. One will say the name of the beloved and laughing and crying and chanting also. Nrityati, dancing. Like a madman. Even materially, uh, of course, material love is not real love, but even materially, people fall madly in love, right? We say people fall in love. I think when I was in Russia, they told me they don't have an expression like that. They say something like, you lose your head. <laughs> so... There's an original head-losing procedure with falling in love with Krishna. All right, now Mahaprabhu is going to, in the next verse, Mahaprabhu is going to contrast this love to what ordinarily passes for religion. 
So it's interesting that first Mahaprabhu, Sarva Shastra Kani, says all the Shastras say give up food of activities, and immediately Srila Prabhupada in the purport says there's a portion of the Vedas that actually deals with food of activities. But ultimately it is advised that one abandoned both karma kanda and jnana karma, speculative knowledge, and accept only upasana kanda or bhakti kanda. One cannot attain love of Godhead by executing karma kanda or jnana kanda, but by dedicating one's karma or fruit of activities to the Supreme Lord, one may be relieved from the polluted mind and becoming free from mental pollution helps elevate one to the spiritual platform. Then, however, okay, so what is Prabhupada saying here? One can do what? Instead of karma, one can do... Karma yoga. Karma yoga. Then, however, one needs the association of a pure devotee. So karma yoga isn't enough. So what does karma yoga do? What did Prabhupada say it does? To lead the spiritual platform. It helps elevate one to the spiritual platform because it relieves you from the... Results. Well, you you, you you give up attachment for the result. Relieve you from what? This is a very important point. Polluted mind. Polluted mind. Are you reading? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> then, however, one needs the association of a pure devotee. For only by a pure devotee's association can one become a pure devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna. So even karma yoga by itself, without sadhusanga, cannot bring you to bhakti. When one comes to the stage of pure devotional service, the process of shravanam kirtanam is very essential. So what's the most essential aspect of the process of bhakti? Hearing and chanting. Hearing and chanting. Shravanam kirtanam. By executing the nine items of devotional service, beginning with shravanam kirtanam, one is completely purified. Anyabhilasitasanyam gyanakramavinagratam. What's that from? Next devotion. Next devotion. Which verse in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu? Yes? 1111. 1111. Easy to remember. 1111. Only then is one able to execute Krishna's orders in the Bhagavad Gita. Ah, interesting. Only then is one able to execute Krishna's orders in the Bhagavad Gita 1865-66. What's Krishna's order in 1865? Come on, you don't know this verse Sanskrit. It's also at the end of the ninth chapter, almost the identical verse. Manmana Baba Madhbhakta, Majati Mamni Masturu, Mami Vaishyasi Satyamte, Pratijane Priyastume. Which means? Always think of me, become my devotee, offer your homage unto me. Thus you will surely come to me without fail. I promise you this because? You're my dear friend. Good. In 1866, you don't know this one then, forget it. What's 1866? Sanskrit. Now my miracle students, they used they would sing this, so they would sing Sarvadharma Prachajama, Mikam Sharanamraja, Antam Sarvapapya Mokshi, Shami Masacha, abandon all varieties of religion, just surrender unto me. I shall deliver you from all sin for reaction. Do not do not do not fear. In this way, one develops his original constitutional position of rendering loving service to the Lord. All right, so you guys get the progression yet? 
If you're really interested in this topic, this is exactly what I'm going to be talking about at Bhaktivedanta Manor, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in the morning, looking at Chapter 12. I've been doing a series of seminars on the yoga letter and bhakti. So what progression have you seen first? First you start with what? Karma. Karma. And then from there you can go to? Karma yoga. And from there you can go to? Gyan yoga. Or you can go to? Bhakti by, how do you go to bhakti? By association of devotees. And then in bhakti you do what? You hear and chant. And then after you hear and chant, what can you do? Practice 1865. Practice 1865, which is? Madmana Bhava Madbhakto. Always what? Think of Krishna. And then you can practice 1866, which is? Surrender to Krishna. So if we want to always think of Krishna, we want to surrender to Krishna. Let's go backwards now. If we want to always think of Krishna, surrender to Krishna, we have to do what? Hear and chant. Hear and chant and the nine processes of devotion. And we start that by the? Mercy of a devotee. Do we have to start that by first doing karma kanda or uh, karma yoga or gyan yoga? No. 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 Why not? Think about that. We'll come back. Okay. Do you have to even start with karma? No. No. You could start with what? Bhakti. Hearing and chanting. Well, yes, you're doing something before you take a bhakti. You could start with what? What's below karma? Something below karma. V, um, v karma. V karma. <laughs> okay. One cannot be elevated to the highest platform of devotional service by karmakanda or jnanakanda. Pure devotional service can be understood and attained only through the association of pure devotees. In this regard, Shilabhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur states that there are two types of karmakanda activities, pious and impious. So what we call karma and what we call vikarma. Pious activities are certainly better than impious activities. So nobody's going to argue that karma is better than vikarma. Undoubtedly, karma is better than vikarma. And karma yoga is better than karma. And jnana yoga is better than karma yoga. And jnana yoga is better than jnana yoga. Although Prabhupada is not so much talking about jnana yoga in this book. So pious activities are certainly better than impious activities. Certainly, without a doubt. But even pious activities cannot bring about ecstatic love of God, Krishna. Pious and impious activities can bring about material happiness and distress, but there is no possibility of one becoming a pure devotee simply by acting piously or impiously. Does acting piously give you any advantage in bhakti? Yes. Yes. What advantage does it give you? Coming to the association of devotees. Maybe. Maybe, because if you perform pious activities, you might engage in yogis with brahmanas who are devotees. You might read the Vedas and that put you in touch with devotees. Okay? And there are ideas as to why pious activities might give you some advantage for taking up bhakti. Gives but you a favorable position for practicing bhakti. It definitely gives you a favorable position. Bhakti devotional service means satisfying Krishna. In every revealed scripture, whether stressing jnana-kanda or karma-kanda, the principle of renunciation is always praised. Well, that's interesting because karma is not based on renunciation, it's based on enjoyment. But here Prabhupada says renunciation is always praised. The ripened fruit of Vedic knowledge, Srimad Bhagavatam, 
as a supreme Vedic evidence. In Srimad Bhagavatam 1.5.12, it is said, Nice karmyam apitutabhavavarjitam, nashobate jnanam alam niranjanam, kutapuna shashvad abhadramishvare, natrakpita karma yadyapakaranam. This is, this is a, I always like this, the wording of this translation. Oh, Hare Krishna. Nice to have you back from India. Knowledge of self-realization, even though free from all material affinity. Knowledge of self-realization, even though free from all material affinity. Does not look well if devoid of a conception of the infallible God. It doesn't look very good. I always like that translation. Sometimes you do it, it don't look very good. Then it dressed well. We were at, you know, on a Harinam party last night in London, and most people are dressed well, I mean, by modern standards, <laughs> by Vedic standards, <laughs> and Hare But by, <laughs> by, I don't know how the men tell who the prostitutes are today. <laughs> I can't tell the difference. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're trying, at least by their modern fashion, to dress well. So, knowledge of self-realization, even though freed from all material affinity, does not look good if devoid of a conception of the infallible God. So, even if you understand Brahman, and even if there's no material tinge, you just don't look right if you don't have some conception of God. What, then, is the use of fruitive activities? We're much lower. Now, here it's talking about the perfection of jnana yoga, and below that is karma yoga, below that is karma. So if even jnana yoga isn't quite dressed right, doesn't look good, if it doesn't have any conception of the personal God, then what about karma? What then is the use of fruitive activities, which are naturally painful from the very beginning and transient by nature, if they are not utilized for the devotional service of the Lord? So of course, if you use activity for the service of the Lord, then it looks very nice. But otherwise, just fruitive activities, painful from the very beginning and transient by nature. This means that even knowledge, which is superior to fruitive activity, is not successful if it is devoid of devotional service. Therefore, in Srimad Bhagavatam, in the beginning, middle, and end, karma kanda and jnana karma are condemned. For example, in Srimad Bhagavatam 112, it is said, mm, Dharma Pravita Kaitabhotra. This is explained in the following verses taken from Srimad Bhagavatam 11.11.32 in the Bhagavad Gita 18.66. When one is actually advanced and takes pleasure in chanting the holy name of the Lord, who is very dear to him, he is agitated and loudly chants the holy name. He also laughs, cries, becomes agitated, and chants just like a madman not caring for outsiders. In every revealed scripture, there is condemnation of fruit of activities. It is advised everywhere to give up engagement in fruit of activities, for no one can attain the highest goal of life, love of Godhead, by executing them. So the original position is prema, is love of God. What does it mean what is, when we talk about love? I mean, we have some idea in this world. What is love? You cannot say we don't have any idea. We have some. So what, is, what do we mean by love? Attraction. Very strong attraction that I, re- I feel the object of my love is wonderful. In this world, we can have that attraction even when the object of our love is not wonderful. People fall in love with other people who are ugly, of bad character, 
so many things. Sometimes it's very mysterious why somebody loves another person. Why could you see in that person? You know, they can love their ugly, slobbering, stinky dog. <laughs> so it's, it's just attraction. And attraction causelessly, often, inexplicably. Not, it's not necessarily a rational attraction. Love is not, you sit down and you say, well, there's this and there's this. It's not a scientific, mathematical process, falling in love. It doesn't work like that. And what else is love? Sacrifice. Attachment, sacrifice. Definitely sacrifice. And service. Love without sacrifice and service is meaningless. It's just completely meaningless. And that's why in civilized society, they understand that real love between a man and a woman, there has to be marriage, there has to be sacrifice and service. It can't just be, I'll enjoy you, you'll enjoy me, and then goodbye, as soon as any sacrifice and service is required. So real love means that I give of myself to the other, and I give of myself without keeping score. You know, again, most love in this world, people are keeping score. How much have I given you? Maybe not in the beginning. But after some time, they start keeping score. Wait a minute, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. We even see this in our ISKCON movement. You know, I've given so many years of my life to the temple, what are they doing for me? So I was once involved in a mediation where the temple authorities were claiming that one householder couple had taken more than they had given, and the householder couple were claiming that the temple had taken more than they were than they had given. So we actually got up a score sheet. You know? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. And and it solved the whole problem. You know, and we went to the treasurer and we said, okay, how many hours have these devotees worked? And we wrote down and we agreed, everybody agreed, temple management and the couple they agreed how many hours they worked. How much is their would their work be worth an hour if you were paying them? Can we figure that out? What facility had they gotten? How much is that worth? And we figured it out. We figured out, okay, the temple gave this much and they gave that much. And then we were able to see the score sheet, which surprised everybody. Mm. Yeah, nobody expected. And then immediately all the problem was solved. <laughs> the accusations stopped flying. But in this world, we're keeping score. It's not really love. No, it isn't really love. But real love is there's no score. There's no, I've given this, what have you given, I'm just giving. And we, you can't imitate that here, by the way. You can't, you can't falsely pretend to be in love. That doesn't work. Eventually, the real inner stuff will come out. Prabhupada talks about the Siyasopanishad, that one can't imitate the behavior of an Uttama Adhikari and just say, oh, I just love everybody, I'm just going to give to everybody. But at a certain point, you'll say, wait a minute, what's in it for me? And you'll become very angry. And we see this sometimes also. We see this also even in ISKCON. People will give for 15, 20 years, and they, they act like they're giving in full self-sacrifice, but they got a little scorecard back in the closet. And eventually it comes out. And then they say, wait a minute, I gave and I gave and I gave and I gave and I gave, and then what is in it for me? But real love is just sacrifice. So just causeless attraction. Causeless attraction. Not attraction because... Just attraction and sacrifice and service and wanting to give oneself. And even our false, perverted, messed up idea of love in this world, it's very intoxicating. 
And the people want it like anything. That's what's driving everybody. You know, romantic love or love for children or love for country or love for some cause even. Some righteous cause. Some whatever, something. Some kind of dedication. Because that's the Sanatana Dharma. That's the intrinsic nature of the self. We want to be able to give in full sacrifice without any personal consideration with just full a causeless attraction to something. And we want to find that something or someone that we can give ourselves to completely and that will be naturally fully satisfied without having to think about our own satisfaction. Just like you want a job where you can just dedicate yourself to the work of the company, the, the mission of the company, without worrying about your maintenance where the people running the company, that they'll be moral enough and ethical enough that they'll just take care of you. You don't have to think about it. They'll pay you a fair salary. They'll give you nice vacations and good working facility. And you can focus all your attention on just the mission, isn't it? Or we want another person like that, that we can give ourselves to without having to keep score, that they'll just naturally take care of us out of a mutual love. But we don't find that. We, we look for it over and over again. We, you know, we throw ourselves in love over and over again. And over and over again, we find that, wait a minute, if I don't think about myself and I don't keep score, then I get cheated. Of course, we don't realize that we're also doing that. That people may be loving us and we're also cheating them. That we're not just giving to them. And then we become disappointed and we become hard-hearted. We kind of go back and forth, bogutiaga, bogutiaga, trying to... Uh, Enjoy love through sacrifice, and then pulling back and saying, "No, uh, I can't. I'm not going to find this. Let me just take care of myself and forget about love." Uh, what time do we end on Sunday? Nine. So here, Mahaprabhu is saying that yes, love is the goal of life. Don't be disappointed. You just have to find the proper lovable object, which is Krishna. And love of Krishna is so satisfying that one can give oneself completely. And he gives the symptoms of giving oneself completely. And Krishna will completely satisfy one. Krishna gives himself to the devotee. And because Krishna is unlimited, we don't, you don't, the devotee doesn't have to calculate. The devotee doesn't have to think, well, I'll love you if. I'll love you if I get liberated and don't have to take birth again. I'll love you if you give me a nice body. I'll love you if you take care of me in this way and that way. The devotee doesn't have to consider any of these things. The devotee can just love. Because Krishna naturally takes care of the devotee perfectly. The devotee is always satisfied with how Krishna takes care. Therefore, the devotee can say, I don't care about anything. I just care about love. I just care about serving you. I just care about pleasing you. And Krishna is just caring about pleasing and serving his devotee. Krishna likes to serve his devotee. And when Mahaprabhu's mother was sick, he immediately brought some coconuts to cure her. And little Krishna, he brings Nandamarja's shoes on his head. Krishna is called an expert dresser, not only because he himself dresses very nicely, but he also knows how to dress Radharani very nicely. He likes to serve his devotees. This, it's not that Krishna is just the taker. It's not that Krishna's Sanatan Dharma is taking and our Sanatan Dharma is giving. His Sanatan Dharma is also giving. He gives unlimitedly. 
You know, he takes a little, one little grain of chipped rice and he gives you a heaven and we plan it to live in. You know, he takes a few pieces of fruit and gives you a basket of jewels. He likes to give, just like we like to give. Prabhupada says the soul, it's a little piece, a little sample of God's psychology. So we enjoy most by giving, actually. The only time when we don't give is when we become so disappointed and so hurt by giving that we, you know, go into a little shell and just feel sorry for ourselves become angry and bitter. And then, of course, we can't stay like that. And when we come out again and try to give again. But we really like to give. It's very pleasing to give. If you have 100 pounds and you use it to give to someone who appreciates what you give and needs what you give and uses what you give, it's so much more satisfying than to spend that same 100 pounds on yourself. It's very interesting. This is even true, even in, even in our perverted material relationships, this is true. There's so much more pleasure by giving than by getting. So Krishna also feels like that. And Krishna does, Kaviraj describes an eternal competition between the giving and serving of the devotee to Krishna and Krishna to the devotee. I mean, Krishna gives himself so much to the devotee uh, that each devotee thinks Krishna is giving himself only to me. Krishna is only sitting with me on my cloth. Krishna is only talking to me. I'm so special to Krishna. So that's actual love. And love is full of variety. It's not just some uh, floating feeling love. <laughs> but it's action. It's activities, it's playful activities. So the perfection is a world where there's no work that needs to be done. There's no karma in a sense. There's no fruit to be gained. Everything is already there. But there's krita, there's play, and there's lila. Just like you may play a game with your friends. You may play some card game or some word game. When I was little, my parents used to play Scrabble with me. You know what that is? It's not like a word game. Well, why? Not because we had anything to gain. And we didn't really care who won or not won. If, if I won or my father won, I was equally happy. It wasn't, comp it wasn't an envious competition. Why do we play a game? Why do you play games with your families and friends? Just to develop the relationship, just for fun. So Krishna's eternal world is simply one game after another, after another, after another. Now, varieties of play, eternal play. Youthful, always very youthful. So especially when we're young, we like to play. And then when we get older, life has to become very serious. But for Krishna, life never has to become serious. It's only play. And even trickiness. Well, but playful. Loving trickiness. So that's the goal of life, is to come to that. That's actual spirituality. However, what often passes for religion in this world is something quite different. And therefore, as I said in the beginning, there's a tension and a misunderstanding and sometimes even killing and persecution between those who practice mundane religion and those who want the height of real spirituality. So mundane religion is often at the very bottom, the difference between vikarma and karma. Now anything that's not love of God, 
anything that's not love of God is inherently selfish and cruel and hating. So those who do not love God more or less hate him. So just like Dvidvida, when he saw Balaram dancing with the gopis, he thought, you know, why does Balaram have all the fun? Let me have the fun. Or Sankachuda, who tried to steal the gopis. So someone in in Vikarma, they're thinking, let me become happy by stealing from Krishna. Let me take something from Krishna and enjoy it on my own, how I want to enjoy it, without acknowledging him, thanking him, or giving him anything in return. So the Vikarmis, their idea of keeping score is I get 100, you get zero. That's what we call sin. Why is it sinful? Because it's the antithesis of reality. Reality is, is... Giving without keeping score, giving without being concerned, just love. The, uh, the mentality of V-karma actually it has no substantiality. It's an illusion. The soul actually can't have such a mentality. And that brings only suffering. So V-karma is in what mode of nature? Ignorance. Which Krishna says it's suffering from beginning to end. Now there's a certain kind of happiness in Vikarma. There's a certain kind of happiness in the mode of ignorance. And that's the happiness that, look how wicked I am. There's a certain happiness in that. It's not actual happiness. But there's something. It's like there's some flavor in unhealthy food that makes you sick. It still has some flavor. You can buy artificial whipped cream that has no cream in it. Right? And artificial sugar that has no sugar in it. And artificial cheese that has no cheese in it. Correct? Yes. No value. Zero calorie food. It doesn't give you any energy. It doesn't give you any nutrition. There's not really any proteins or sugars or carbohydrates in it. It's false. It's it's not false in the sense that it's not there. It's there. It's something. But it's false food. But there's some kind of pleasure in it. Something. Even though it just brings you suffering. So the main pleasure in V-karma is, ha, I cheated God. I've done it. I've done something sinful and nasty and gotten away with it. I am perfect, powerful, and happy. I defeated my enemies. I neutralized my enemies. I will be victorious in the future. Now, it's, it's not a very, you wouldn't call that joy. I'm sure we've, you know, at least most of us, at least I've experienced this sort of happiness. Maybe none of you have, but maybe all of you are above the load of ignorance. But I've had this sort of experience where I've thought, yes, I am the master. I can do whatever I like. Nobody can do anything to me. But it's not a sense of joy, is it? It's not something you would call joy. So therefore, it's not actual pleasure. So that's V-karma. And what does V-karma get you? Bad births. Get you births in the lower echelon of human society. 
you know, if you want to take birth in a slum where your mother's a crack addict, you know, and your father's a pimp, and they'll get you a birth like that. Or if you're really bad, you know, that you have to do some karma just to get a birth like that. But if, you, if you've only done V-karma, then you're going to get an animal birth. Then you can be one of the pigeons, you know, you're really interested in hanging out in London at night, you can be one of the pigeons. Or if you're really even lower than that, you can be one of the rats, one of the cockroaches. Even lower than that, and you could be the little microbes that floating in the sewer. So there's that's that's where V karma gets one. V karma gets one to low burst among human society, to burst in the animal kingdom. Then there's karma. What mode of nature is karma in? Passion. Mode of passion. So karma is, I'm going to be a righteous person. Now karma often passes for religion. The majority of religious systems in the world today are preaching karma. Only. They're preaching the mode of passion. In America they talk about, the, the Christians talk about family values. That's mode of passion. That's karma. Be a good, righteous person. So karma, you're not stealing from Krishna. You're paying. But you really don't care about Krishna at all. And you're very happy if you get a good deal. When I was out walking yesterday, there was some shoe store that said, you know, our lease is up, everything is on sale. So many people were in the store. And nobody's thinking, not one person. I am sure that not one customer was thinking, well, the company, poor company's losing money on these shoes. They're just thinking, I'm getting a good deal. So they're legally paying for it. They're not stealing the shoes. They're paying the price the company's asking, but they're really happy to get a good deal. They're really happy to get the shoes for less than what they're actually worth and let the company lose money on them. They don't care. So in karma, people are not really caring about Krishna. They don't really want to satisfy him. They may talk about satisfying him. They may make a show about satisfying him. Yes, we want to be righteous. They talk a lot about being afraid of him. You know, at least they've gotten it right that they should be afraid of him. It's like the criminals, they're not even afraid of the police. Of course, until the police actually come. Like we are reading the Bhagavatam, in Ireland, how the ministers of Kamsa said, the demigods, they only boast when there's no fighting. When there's actually fighting, there's cowards. So those in the mode of ignorance, they only boast when the police officers aren't there. You know, yeah, I don't care about God. I don't care about the laws of nature. I'm going to do whatever I want. And then when the Yamadudas come, and then they're screaming. You know, so at least those in karma, they're afraid. They're afraid of the Yamadudas. We're afraid of God. We're, you know, we're scared. So we're going to behave properly out of fear. And we're still going to try to get a good deal. You know, so what's their payment? Yes, God is great. I'll go to church. I'll do my sacrifice. So two things. First of all, they enjoy the world according to the law of Krishna. They're following the law. They're not trying to enjoy outside of the law. And then they do some sacrifice. Whatever it may be, according to the religion. They may go in their church and light some candles, or they may do some pilgrimage, or they may fast on Ramadan, or whatever. 
doing some sacrifice for the purpose of enjoying separately from Krishna. For the purpose of trying to be a separate lord and a separate enjoyer, not for the purpose of love. And even sometimes if they talk about love, it, it, it's not necessarily that just because they talk about love that, there's, that they have any concept of actual love. And what's their goal? You know, the goal in Vikarma is just to be powerful and break the rules and get away from it, get away with it, and be a competitor, God, as an enemy of God. And what's the goal of karma? To enjoy. To enjoy. To be a competitor, God, by the grace of God. It's just like in a business. So some people may understand, okay, I'll never be the head of the business. I'll never be the president. Maybe I can be a vice president. And maybe as a vice president, I can even wield more power than the president if I really play my cards right. So that's kind of the mood in karma. The mood in karma, they figured out, I can't just be God's competitor, absolutely. So therefore it's better. Definitely better. It's definitely a step in the right direction. There's with no, Sir Prabhupada says there's certainly. And we should, in the Hare Krishna movement, have no compunctions about encouraging karma over vikarma. Definitely. We should encourage people, you want to enjoy the world, at least follow the rules of the scriptures and acknowledge the existence of God. It's a, it, for many people, especially now, it's a huge step. It's, it's a tremendous step. And then people, they want to enjoy either by having heaven in this world, in this life, right? Heaven on earth. There are even some religions that preach that the ultimate goal is heaven on earth. And by having heaven after death. They want to go to heaven after death. And in the heavenly planets, uh, there Krishna actually gives the residents far more material enjoyment. Even though they're still envious. Because at least they're following the rules. Because Krishna is not envious. Krishna doesn't have any envious mentality. He says, all right, you know, then you can have it. Of course, that material enjoyment, as Prabhupada says here in this purport, is distressed also even from the beginning. Although it's interesting, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, mode of passion is happiness in the beginning and becomes distressed at the end. But from a spiritual point of view, even happiness in the mode of passion is simply distress. Now let's think about it for a minute. What does fruitive activity mean? Prabhupada says there are two kinds of fruitive activity, karma and vikarma. So in both mentalities, whether sinful or pious, you're working for a fruit. You're planting a seed to get a fruit so you can eat the fruit. So all the time you're doing your activities, you're not actually enjoying. So someone's working, 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 to get a degree, or they're working to get you know some money, or they're working to get a vacation. So all the time they're working, there's not much pleasure. They're just focused on the fruit while they're planting the seed, while they're weeding, while they're watering, while they're fertilizing, while they're waiting. There's not so much pleasure in that process, some. But the main pleasure is eating the fruit, which happens rarely. Prabhupada says it's transient. He said it's distressed in the beginning and it's transient. So you get your fruit sometimes. The tree doesn't give you fruit every day. It doesn't give you fruit from the moment you plant the seed. It gives you fruit after a long time of waiting, and then you eat the fruit, and then you have to wait for the next season to get the next fruit. And you might not get the fruit the next season. Maybe the birds will eat it. 
Maybe your neighbor will pick it. Or maybe the tree will get diseased. And maybe you eat the fruit and it doesn't even taste very good. So fruit of activity means, you know, I'm working, 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 sacrifice, and my pleasure is mostly my mental anticipation. I'm going to enjoy, 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 I'm going to enjoy. Yes, I am, it's right there, it's right there, I'm going to enjoy, it's right there, it's right there, it's right there, it's right there. And sometimes you get there and you eat the fruit, and you go, ugh, that's a worm in it. All right, next fruit, next season, I'll get it next season. And sometimes you get the fruit, and then it's over. And then again, immediately, there's another goal, and another goal, and another goal, and another goal, and another goal. So understandably, an intelligent person says, what do I want this for? An intelligent person will say, what do I want it for? Now, the unfortunate thing right now in the world is that people... Uh, there are two, basically two classes of people, those who, have, who are following karma and trying to be pious and trying to be religious, and those who have said, what do I want that for? If all I get is some temporary happiness with hard work, what do I want to follow the rules for? Let me just do it sinfully. Why go through all the trouble of following the scriptural rules and a fear of God and so much guilt and so much restriction on what kind of enjoyment I can have? If I only get temporary enjoyment that's half the time miserable, I might as well just do it my own way. So we have, and right now on the planet, there's a lot of people who are becoming more and more and more fundamentalist about karma. You've got to do it this way, you've got to fear God, you've got to follow all the rules, and then there's also a growing group of people who are saying, forget that. Let's just be sinful. Let's pretend there's no God. So that's not the solution. And we in the Hare Krishna movement are not promoting karma. Karma is better than karma. Undoubtedly, karma is better than karma. Because at least by karma, you're reading the scriptures, you're associating with devotees, you might find out there's something more, at least you're acknowledging the existence of God Krishna is so kind, he's happy even with that. But that's not actual religion. So a little higher than that, one says, wait a minute. Why am I working for a fruit? Which half the time isn't even there or is bitter and is just temporary. Let me actually find the truth. Now, you can start from two ways. You can start from karma yoga, or you can start from gan yoga. Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita that whether you do karma or samkhya, you get the result of both, right? Whether you do karma yoga or samkhya yoga, the result is both. So a person might start at gan yoga, or they might start at karma yoga. So karma yoga is you're still doing your same work as in karma. By the way, what's, what's the Sanskrit term? We talk about it a lot in the Hare Krishna movement that happens if people are performing karma in society. How is society organized if people are performing karma? Varnashram. So Varnashram is the system by which society should be organized in order for people to engage in karma. The system that elevates people from vikarma to karma. Prabhupada often says human society begins with Varnashram. Varnashram is karma. So karma yoga means you're still doing varnashram, you're doing your duties according to the scripture, but you're no longer doing it for the fruits. 
You renounce the fruits, karma, pala, tiaga. You say, I no longer care if I have heaven on earth or if I have heaven after death. I'm doing my duty, but I'm doing my duty for the sake of realizing truth, for the sake of realizing myself, for the sake of liberation. I'm doing my duty for the sake of being free from birth over and over again. Right? Karma, if you do your karma properly, what birth do you get? You go to Swarga. If you're really good, you go to Swarga, or you can even go above that to the planets of the Prajapadis. And if you're just pretty good, uh, then you take birth as a very rich, beautiful person on earth, some king, or something like that. Uh, good karma. And most people today, because they have a mix of passion and ignorance, they get very, we get very mixed situations. So karma politiaga, karma yoga is, I don't care about that. I want salvation. So you're, doing, you're dedicating your activities for the purpose of salvation. I'm doing this for purification. 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 And jnana yoga is you're not so much engaged in activity anymore. Jnana yoga is you retire to a monastery somewhere, or if you're a householder, you don't really endeavor to earn a livelihood, and you're just studying the Shastra. You're just studying philosophy to understand, oh, this world is an illusion. I am the soul. There is ultimately salvation. You become convinced intellectually. So that's jnana yoga. And Prabhupada says here, the purpose of karma yoga, and the same purpose for jnana yoga, is to be free of the polluted mind. So Krishna says that if you do karma palatyaga, if you give up working for the fruit, you become peaceful. You attain shanti. And in shanti, the mind is controlled. So by karma yoga or by jnana yoga, the purpose is to control the mind. The purpose is to make the mind still. And we do have some people on this planet who are preaching either karma yoga or jnana yoga for the purpose of stilling the mind. And as soon as one stills the mind, one finds peace, which is a lot higher happiness than temporary fruits on this planet or on higher planets. And it's something that you can have constantly. Then what's the purpose of peace? What do they do from peace? They often go to dhyan yoga. You can't do dhyan. You can't meditate unless you, your mind's peaceful. It's not possible. You know, so-called meditation before you've purified your polluted mind through karma yoga or yan yoga. You forget it. It's a sham. All that happens is these dhyan yoga people, with some exceptions, obviously, but all that these jnana yoga people do is they unleash forces in their body and mind that they can't deal with. What forces? Unleash forces. Oh, forces. Forces, not horses. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're like horses. Maybe they're like wild horses. Uh, someone I know who's very expert in jnana yoga told me that if you just fool around with jnana yoga when you're not qualified, it's like giving a power tool to a three-year-old. You know, there's a lot of actually difficulty and people who just okay you just will touch you and awaken your kundalini and they have all kinds of physical and even sometimes mental diseases that come because they weren't really qualified they didn't have the adhikar for jnana yoga now the purpose of jnana yoga is to meditate on the super soul so then you're starting to connect with Krishna as a person so that's the idea, that from karma yoga, you can go directly from karma yoga to jnana yoga, or you can go through jnana yoga first. So you can go 
from karma, you can go to karma yoga or gyan yoga. And from karma yoga, you can go to gyan yoga or dhyan yoga. Or from gyan yoga, you can go to dhyan yoga. And from karma yoga, which you, if you uh, die as a karma yogi, what do you take birth as? Where's your birth? Pious family. Hmm? Pious family. Yes, pious family. Pious family or family of yogis. Uh, or sometimes even the higher planets, sometimes swarga. And sometimes also, again, the planets of the Prajapatis. And the Gyan Yogi, where do they go? They, go? they merge into the Brahman. Or sometimes they may go to the planets of the Rishis. And the Dhyan Yogi, where do they go? Vaikuntha. They go to Vaikuntha? Yeah. Or they can go to Swetadweep in the material world. Or sometimes they also go to the higher planets of the meditators. Uh, what's his name? Pipalaya. And, and the four Kumaras who are engaged in Jian yoga, in meditation on the Lord of the heart. But you know what? None of that is actually real. None of that is love. Because it's all thinking about me. If I'm a karma yogi, I'm just thinking, let me sack them. I'll give up heaven for something higher. But the higher is still about me. I want salvation. I'm tired of suffering. I just want unlimited bliss. And the Gyan Yogi also, they're thinking the same way. Karma Yogi and Gyan Yogi, really, they're thinking about the same thing, but they're going through it a little differently. I want unlimited bliss and peace. And the Gyan Yogi, sometimes he thinks he's the super soul. Or sometimes the Gyan Yogi is looking for powers. You know, let me enjoy by having subtle power instead of gross power. And they may also be looking for liberation. None of them is looking for love. But that's who we are. We're lovers. Liberation is there automatically if you're in love with Krishna. Because liberation from what? Liberation from thinking that I'm the center. All of our difficulty is from thinking that I'm the center. Liberation doesn't, doesn't have to include whether you take birth again. If you're liberated from thinking you're the center, it doesn't matter whether you're seemingly in a physical body or not. It's irrelevant. Because you're not experiencing any distress in the physical body. Your physical body is not the result of your karma. It's, the, it's simply a vehicle for service. So you're already liberated. I talked to was reading that yesterday. The devotees don't care for liberation because they're already liberated. So they don't care about technical liberation in the sense of whether they take birth again, whether they're in the spiritual world. They don't care about liberation in that sense. Because they already see everything as good. And the only way to get from parts of the yoga ladder to bhakti is through the mercy of a devotee, as Prabhupada explains here. So our bhakti process is wherever you are, even if you're at the platform of V-karma, you don't have to go to karma and karma yoga and gyan yoga and dhyan yoga and then to bhakti. In fact, if you do that, it will be quite difficult. You'll probably spend a lot of lifetimes It'll probably take a lot, a lot of lifetimes to go through all those stages, you know, because you've got to do karma as a shudra and then karma as a vaisha and then karma as a ksatri and then karma as a brahmana. You've got to do your karma perfectly for so long before you finally kind of wear it out and say, let me go to karma yoga. 
And then you've got to do karma yoga for a long time before you go to gyan yoga and gyan yoga. You've got to do gyan yoga for a long time before you say, oh, Vasudevam Sarumiti. And in the meantime, you may merge in the Brahma Jyoti for a while and hang out there for a long time and then <laughs> fall out of there and, you know, so many distractions. And, but if you're already a Gyan Yogi, you don't have to go back to being a Vikarmi to take up Bhakti. You know, there's a famous story that I read when I was a child about the city of fools and how they wanted to build a water wheel to grind their grain in the river. And the forest was on top of the hill, so they cut down the trees and they carried them down the hill and they built, built their water mill. And then someone said, you could have just rolled all the trees down the hill. So they dismantled their water wheel and they went back up and they <laughs> rolled the trees down. So if you're already a karma yogi, if you come to Krishna consciousness already as a karma yogi or already as a gyan yogi or already as a dhyan yogi, and we have some people like that. We have people who are already expert in dhyan or gyan or karma yogi. Then, okay, fine. Your adhikar is, is higher in a sense. Although there's also a disadvantage because you become attached to that other kind of yoga. So disadvantage and advantage both. You don't have to go back. You don't have to think, let me go back and start over again in Varnashram or above Varnashram. You can take directly to bhakti. And Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, the four types who surrender to him, those who are already in jnana, uh, that they're, they're higher. He says, they're like my very self. So if you've already achieved gyan or gyan, uh, that's fine. I mean, sometimes in the Hare Krishna movement, we just harass people who've already become experts in gyan yoga and gyan yoga. And we just tell them it's all bad. <laughs> Go back and be a vikarmi and then come back to bhakti. So that's rather silly. But if you haven't already done that, don't bother. You know, if you're already on the 10th floor, okay, catch the elevator there, catch the lift there. You don't have to go back to the first floor to catch the lift. But you don't need to walk up the stairs to the 10th floor to catch the lift. You can catch the lift at the first floor. You can catch the lift even if you're a Vikarmi. Just like we had some people last night dancing with the Hari Nam party. Now they were going directly from Vikarma to Bhakti. It was no, they weren't even going to Karma. You know, they're in, their, they're in the restaurants eating cows. They're sitting there in the restaurant eating cows, and they start dancing with the Hari Nam party. We saw them, right? In the restaurant. Krishna, Krishna. And they got their dead cow on their plate. They're going directly from Vikarma to Bhakti. So that can be done. You can get the lift even from the, the basement. The lift of Bhakti it goes all the way down to the basement. Anybody can get in. Of course, starting, you know, there's some disadvantages uh, starting from Vikarma. The material attachments one has are going to be a little difficult, but better to get rid of them in bhakti rather than to try to get rid of them in another way. So our purpose is to, is prema kumarita mahan. Uh, yes, if we have a society that's dedicated to Krishna consciousness, we would certainly promote Varnashram in the world. Undoubtedly. We would promote karma over vikarma, but that's not our religion. Is there any place for Varnashram in bhakti directly? Eh, you can do it optionally as offering to Krishna from the stages of 
the angas of bhakti without control of the mind, the angas of bhakti with control of the mind, or even in Raganuga bhakti, just to set an example. Uh, one can do that. But uh, actually, Varnashram is optional for one in bhakti. It's not necessary. One can just do the nine processes of devotional service. Saying that people have to be following Varna and Ashrana in order to get initiated in bhakti is nonsense. And that's mixing the yoga ladder with bhakti. It's complete nonsense. So bhakti is not dependent. Rupa Goswami specifically says Varnashram is not a limb of bhakti. But of course we have to do something. Prabhupada says in Bhagavad Gita, we have conditional constitutional activities. And we have to do something with our body. Unless you're already very elevated. For one who's a beginner in the yoga process, work is said to be the means. For one who's more advanced, cessation of all material activities is said to be the means. So whatever we're doing, offer it to Krishna. And even if it isn't exactly in line with Farnashram, even if you're a 35-year-old, twice-divorced person, and there's no way you're going to enter the Grahasta Ashram or the Brahmacharya Ashram, and you're not really Yavanaprastha, and you're not really in anything, and you you know have some Brahminical tendencies and some Shudra tendencies, and you don't know what in the world you are, you know, you're not even on, on Plan B, you know, somewhere on Plan F. Or <laughs> one devotee said to me, "I'm on Plan Z." <laughs> so even if and Krishna's got a very expert set now, and even if you don't follow the, you know, he can reroute you. So even if even if you you know we're not at the standard of karma, you don't have to come to the standard of karma first. It's not required in bhakti. Uh, but as long as what you're doing is not grossly sinful, as long as it's not meeting intoxication, with sex or gambling, you can't run a brothel for Krishna, you can't run a liquor shop for Krishna, you know, you can't be head of the mafia for Krishna. But <laughs> other than things like that, uh, whatever we're doing, we offer it to Krishna. And then according to Bhakti Siddhanta, those activities act as gona karma or subsidiary principles of bhakti. And of course, when our activities are dedicated to Krishna, they don't bring any reactions. They act as they act similar to the activities, not the same, similar to the activities in karma yoga. And when connected with bhakti, they become as good as bhakti. They become the iron rod in the fire. So they might look like varnashram activities, or they might look like mixed up half this ashram, half this ashram, half this varna, half that varna activities, but if they're dedicated to Krishna, then they all become bhakti. Of course, if we can dedicate to Krishna activities that are more in line with the scriptures, we should do so. Uh, not that we should use Kali Yuga as an excuse. You know, I'm just going to live with my boyfriend for five years and not get married because we can't do Varnashram anyway. Which happens in the Hare Krishna movement, I'm sorry to say. So if one can, if one is in a position where one can be a proper Brahmin, Ksatriya Vaishya Sutra, where one can be a proper Brahmin, Chagra, Hastavana, Prasta, Sanyasi, certainly that's more favorable. But Bhakti is not dependent on any of that. So all glories to Bhakti Yoga and the Sanatan Dharma of the Soul. And if you're interested in these topics, we will be doing seminars at the Manor on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in the morning, Krishna Way, Krishna Way. So on Monday we'll be doing Bhagavad Gita chapter 12, 1 through 7. We'll be exploring the difference between bhakti and the yoga ladder. Then on Tuesday we'll be doing 8 through 12, 
how the yoga ladder relates to bhakti, and on Wednesday we'll be doing 13 through 20, the qualities of one who has attained peace. So it's already 9 o'clock. Should I just stop or should we take questions? Questions, comments? Yes, uh, you mentioned that uh, devotee is already liberated. Mm. Um, I wonder if a devotee recognizes that he's liberated or he's liberated. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Give me some sound. Ram, Ram, Hare Hare. Ram, Ram, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna. See, that's Maya. It looks like a mic, but it doesn't act like one. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk badly. Yeah, it was mentioned in the class that um, um, devotees they are already liberated. Uh, I wonder if they can recognize it themselves, or they always feel uh, that they are lower than the uh, worm in the stool. If you're always joyful, you know you're always joyful. If that's your state, you know it, that that's your state. So then your question is, why do liberated devotees talk about themselves as ordinary conditioned souls? Because they see that their state is by the grace of Krishna, not due to their own qualifications. Like Sobhagama Bhattacharya, he said, my dear Mahaprabhu, you've turned a, a crow into Garuda. So he saw himself as a crow that by, by grace, he didn't think, I'm liberated, I'm an enlightened being. You know, people who attain some level of enlightenment through karma yoga, gyan yoga, and dhyan yoga, they often uh, proclaim themselves as enlightened beings by their own endeavor. Isn't it? Yeah. I went to the forest, I meditated for 12 years, and took, you know, 15 of those years, I took a vow of silence, and I was living on only leaves, and now I've become enlightened. Yeah. Now I can teach you all how to become enlightened. So a devotee isn't like that. A devotee is, yes, you know, I'm, I'm always experiencing, the, it, read Krishna Das Kaviraj, read carefully, where he says he's lower than the worm in the stool, and, and read all the verses in that section. If we had one here, and he says, you know, I've received the service of Radha and Krishna. He's saying two things at the same time. He's saying, I'm lower than a worm and stool. I'm only sinful. Anyone who says my name is engaging in sin. And then he says, and I've received the service of Sri Shri. It's all right. You can find it later. You can look it up yourself. It's not hard to find. Just do a search on the database in Anila, worm and stool, and you'll find it. But he says, I've also been given the service of Shishi Radha Krishna. What's he talking about? He's saying how he's become liberated. He's saying how he's become a pure devotee of the Lord. So he's seeing both at the same time. That's even a greater cause for celebration. If you're already Bill Gates and you win the lottery, you know, it's not such a big deal. But if you're a homeless bum and you win the lottery, you know, that's pretty exciting. So you can see somebody who win the lottery, they might be interviewing them on television and they're saying, I'm just a homeless bum and I just won the lottery. Well, if you just won the lottery, how are you a homeless bum? But they've seen both of them at the same time. So 
You don't have to have them. You don't have to have pearls to live. There's so much beauty even in the world. Again, if you go to an ordinary prison, <laughs> everything's just gray. They don't, they don't give the prisoners cans of paint. You know, you can paint, you choose what color your cell is. We have so much beauty. I mean, just the sky, the sun rising and setting, and the rainbows, and the incredible. None of that's necessary. None of that's required. In fact, just even to create the material world is a sign of love. You know, if someone hates me and envies me, I don't necessarily give them everything they want, even in illusion. I wish I could just have a stay in the body of Mahavishnu all the time. Okay, you rebellious, just stay eternally in a state of suspended animation. Now, if we don't feel that, that's our responsibility. Just like sometimes, I'm sure we've had this experience, that you've gone out of your way for somebody, and you've done something extra for somebody to make them happy, and they haven't even noticed. Have you all had this experience? You really went out of your way, you really sacrificed, you made a big endeavor, maybe you spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of care, and you did something to please somebody and to help somebody, and they didn't even notice it. They didn't even see it. They didn't even acknowledge it. And maybe they might even just say, you don't care about me. Have you had this experience? Now, if that person doesn't feel what we did for them, is that, my, is that because I didn't care anything? Is that because I didn't have love? Is it my fault? So if the, if the conditioned living entity doesn't feel Krishna's love, whose responsibility is that? Krishna's giving, 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 giving. Okay, what kind of body do you want? You can have it. You want a pig body? Listen, I really don't think you should get a pig body. It's really not a good idea. You'll suffer. You want it? Okay, you can have it, whatever you want. <laughs> you know, you want to work in the law of karma and go to heaven? And Okay, fine. You know, I really don't think you should do that. But if you really want it, okay, here's how to do it. Here's all the instructions and you can do it. Whatever we want, he gives us. He's always giving us more. What does he say? He's the light of the sun. You don't feel the sun? This person doesn't feel the sunlight? He doesn't feel the sun? The heat of the sun? I'm the heat and fire. He doesn't feel the heat and fire? When he feels the heat and fire, he takes it for granted. Oh yeah, the sun's warm. I'm not freezing to death. Yeah, yeah. There's the light of the sun. Okay, cool. Let me go on with my life. Where's Christian anyway? He says, I'm right here. I'm the light of the sun. I'm the light of the moon. Look at this great thing I just did. I'm the ability of man. Where's Krishna? Can't you feel your own ability? Can't you feel your ability to walk? On the digestive fire, can you feel your ability to digest food? Can we feel our ability to see, to hear? It's all Krishna. Oh, I'm so smart. Look at that thing. Oh, I just figured that out. Wow, so cool. Who's our intelligence? That's Krishna. When you feel that, you're feeling Krishna. You're feeling Krishna's love. You're just not seeing that it's Krishna. You think it's yours. You just, oh, it just happens to be here. You know, the ten kinds of broccoli and the ten kinds of apples. Oh, that's nice. That's just here. Where's Krishna's love? How do you must feel? Where's the evidence you love me, Krishna? I just banged my head because I walked in the wall. So obviously you don't love me. No, I told you to walk through the door. 
And start with that. And then thinking, well, first I want to feel that Krishna loves me like a gopi or like a cowboy boy or something, you know. Why start with the sun? Start with digestion. Start with ability. Start with intelligence. Start with that. It's a good start. Start with the flowers. Start with the rainbow. Start somewhere. And if you start there, then someday you'll feel how Krishna loves you as a gopi or a cowboy boy or something too. But it's not that if I ignore Krishna and what I have, then, then he's going to show me more. You know, if I gave you a little gift and you just ignored it, I'm not going to give you a big one. It happened to me. You know, I gave a friend of mine some of my gold jewelry when I entered in the Vada Prasta Ashram. Some of it had been given by my mother, from her mother, you know, it was heirloom stuff, and it was really valuable. And one time when I visited her, I found it on the floor, covered with dust mixed with her kids' toys. I said, you know, this is like 22 karat gold and lapis lazuli, and it was an heirloom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you think I gave her any more? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Krishna's like that, too. Okay, I've given you digestion. 1515, you have to only read the purport to 1515. You know, giving you the light of the sun and the moon, you know, giving you flowers. <coughs> so many kinds of flowers. Not just one flower. So many colors of flowers. And, and one flower has different shades of color. Is that right? Thank you very much for your brilliant answer on the match. Yeah, I, I will pass it on to him. Thank you very much. Hi, Krishna. We can take one more. Anyone else? No? Everybody wants to proceed? Thank you, Al-Gaisi Shukrabha. Thank you, Krishna. Thank you, Krishna. Thank you, Krishna.